good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? Everybody on Friday was talking about how nervous they were, how scared. I don't get it. It's ECU at ECU. All it takes is, you know, a couple touchdowns and then the stadium clears out. And uh, that's exactly what happened. That is exactly what happened. And that made for the beginning of a freaking great weekend of being a Bearcat football fan. Basketball, that's another story. It's always great to be a basketball fan. But we're here to talk about football today. Indeed, we are, Hummer. This was a magical weekend on the football front. We may even talk a little basketball later in the episode, but there's there's too much on the bone, as you like to say, uh, to, to, to kick off with basketball. So today we start with football, and it, it's fitting that we discuss the Bearcats' 35-13 victory over the East Carolina Pirates. Um, it's it's likely the Bearcats' last trip to Greenville, a, a destination that is fond, if only for the, the online memes that it creates and Luke Fickle doing pull-ups from their from their, from their ceiling rafters. It's truly an incredible tradition that one that I actually will miss. So if we're if we're saying farewell to our favorite American Athletic Conference traditions, that might be up there in the in the top three for me. I mean I was confused at first. I'm like, wait, is this the, this the same video? Are we playing the same one? And when I found out it's new, I'm like, all right, guys, new tradition. The last win of the season, the last game of the season, Luke Fickle has to do pull-ups. And in this case, it's, you know, it's going to be uh, in Oklahoma now, right? We're going to be in, in Oklahoma State doing pull-ups in their locker room. Right. And then the important part is that he's not just doing a pull-up or two. It's that Luke Fickle gets up there, up there on the bars and he's burning out. That guy's maxing out on the bars to the point where the last one, I'm only going to get half to a quarter up and, and I'm going to be grunting. I'm going to be you know grimacing and I'm going to, I'm going to leave it out all out there on the, on the field. So I personally love it. It's one of my favorite new traditions. Unfortunately, it's probably a tradition that dies with our departure from the conference. Um, but, you know, before we get into the big picture stuff, which I think is going to be much more interesting, this game was played on Friday, uh, a nice 3.50 p.m. kickoff. I, I got to experience it at, or at least the first half I experienced at Mad Tree Brewing, which was my first time visiting said brewery, which apparently is a very surprising thing when you live in Cincinnati. Visit Mad Tree Brewing and mention Cincy's Langan and get your entire bill free. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Matt just kidding. not sponsor this podcast. <laughs> but if they want to, um, it, it was a good time and a, a later, a later kickoff than expected and a game that got off to quite a slow start. You know, when, when your first drive starts after, um, after I believe a blocked punt, they, they blocked the first punt of the game for ECU. And unfortunately the, the drive stalls out and you see our field goal get blocked. Or was it just missed? It may have not even been blocked. The field goal wasn't blocked. The field goal was missed, I believe. The, the, the kicking is not ideal, but fortunately for us, the Cincinnati Bearcats ramped things up dramatically in the second quarter, uh, largely leaning on the, the immaculate right arm of one Desmond Ritter. So I'm going to just get the, the bad part out of the way, right? We're just going gonna, gonna to tackle it. We're going to move on from it because there's nothing we can do about it at this point. We're 12 games into the season. We are undefeated. Uh, yes, we missed field goals again. And, or I guess a field goal, not, not, not plurals here. But the scary part is when I'm watching the other games this weekend and you're seeing that, you know, some closeness, especially in that, the Alabama-Auburn game, right? And I'm sitting there imagining myself in that situation where Luke Fickle has now driven us down the field Time is winding down, and we are on the 20-yard line of our opponent. Do you feel comfortable kicking a field goal as time expires, or do you feel more confident taking one more shot at the end zone? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's becoming very, very clear that we don't. you shouldn't have much confidence anytime we're going out there for a field goal. I, I joked with Joe Barnett, the councilman, I told him that at his season end grading that he does for position groups, 
he's going to have to be a little harsher on what's happening on special teams. I think it's being, it's being dragged down a bit by the, the wayward field goal kicking that we're seeing. And, and the thing about kicking is that when you're, when you're mowing down teams like East Carolina, SMU, Notre Dame, Indiana, like it doesn't, it hasn't mattered, right? We're just mowing teams down. The margin of victory is one of the best in the nation. And it's just something that's more of an annoyance during the season. But the thing about kicking Hummer is that it is the, the time you really notice it. It is the most it's go, you're going to notice it at the worst possible moment. It's going to rear its ugly head at the worst possible moment. And exactly when it should be, when it can cause the most pain. Just ask the Cincinnati Bengals how that, how that, how that comes to light when you play green Bay and both teams combined for missing like five straight field goals. It's basically next person kicks a field goal wins. Uh, you know, it's, we're going to miss that. Uh, but don't, don't even have said, to go to the pros ask Florida state. Yeah. Ask, ask a dominant nineties, you know, early two thousands Florida state program that, that destroyed teams and destroyed opponents. But as soon as they got into the high leverage bowl game situations, it seemed to always kind of rear its ugly head. So it's a conversation that, there's not much to do about it. It's not like you can snap your fingers and fix field goal kicking, but it, it keeps, it keeps revealing itself to be, you know, not something to it. It's not going to go in our favor and it's not something we can lean on. If anything though, the, the, the silver lining from it, I do like to look for silver linings. It would be that, that it's going to cause Luke fickle and Denbrock and Des Ritter to be more aggressive. Once we cross the 50 yard line, you're going to see us go for more fourth downs. You're going to see, see us get more aggressive for touchdowns. And I think all in all, I think that's a, a more winning style of football anyway. Well, I thought you were going to take that somewhere else. I was like, you know, the good news for Coomer here is if we're not kicking field goals, that allows him to extend his lead in the reception, the touchdown res for, uh, receptions category. Uh, Alex Pierce hauling in another beautiful, beautiful, long, tough, contested touchdown catch which honestly could have been if he wasn't there to catch it that ball was picked off like that was a that was a, a ball that he fought for and basically caught that one-handed with the with the defender having two two hands on that ball either way i've come to i guess i came to this realization a long time ago i'm running another beer mile guys joe barnett's doing it with me and we're just debating on whether we're going to do it in miami or dallas so yeah joe joe is intent on running this beer mile in, in at the at the college football playoff and I think the, the day of the college football playoff game. So that's something to look forward to or not look forward to. It could be gross, could be awful, but I suspect that you guys are going to bring the best out of each other. We can check the tape. I actually don't think it was touchdowns. I think it was total receptions. And in that regard, you're even in even more trouble because Michael Young Jr. hasn't been playing. Um, I think he's a little bit uh, nicked up with an injury. Um, and, and Josh Wiley is, has become the the blocking tight end to Lenny Taylor's receiving tight end. Um, yes. Lenny Taylor, and, and you mentioned Alec Pierce's 28-yard touchdown pass. Lenny Taylor and also caught a 44-yard touchdown pass on a beautiful kind of lob to the left side of the field um, over and out, out over the arms of a defender. But more importantly, once Lenny got the ball, it was just an absolutely ferocious stiff arm and some very nifty feet along the sidelines. That allowed him to, to get the Bearcats off and rolling on the scoreboard. Halftime, we go in there with the 21-3 lead. Should have been 28. Should have been 28. Is uh is the end of the first half when we saw that interception from Dez? It was the fumble by Jerome Ford. That's what it was. Okay. But, uh, yeah. yeah, twenty. it should have been 28. It is what it is. Uh, the good, good news is, though, even in the third quarter, while it kind of looked like we were not doing stuff, we, we still put up respectable stats on the offensive side of the ball, you know, over 400 yards of, of production. That's good. But this game, I think it's, this game is the, the talks of this game should be all around the defense and how stifling it has been. And not only that, the, the issues that we had with rushing with defending against the rush have seemed to have been for the, at least for now, for these past few games squashed. And I'll point that out because I think that the two running backs for East Carolina Mitchell and Harris were two. If you combine their stats are two very good running backs and they do, they run them basically, you know, one, two punch, you know, we're going to run Mitchell for three straight downs. Then we're going to go, we're going to bring in Harris across the goal line. 
And so two very good rushing, rushing running backs. And we held them under 70, 78 yards, 70 ish yards, something like that. That's a phenomenal effort that the defense put up there. Couldn't be more happy with how the defense performed, especially when we were looking at situations early in the first half, the first quarter, that first possession, pushing them back to make sure that they kept them to a field goal instead of going up seven to nothing. You know, we also did the same thing in the third quarter when they were on the looking to looking to score. We pushed them back. Defense pushes them back, holds them to another field goal. Cannot be more more proud of the effort that those guys are are throwing out there. Definitely worth calling out. Definitely probably the most important thing is for the Cincinnati Bearcats, Black Cats defense to look like itself again. And against SMU the week before, where they hold uh, Mordecai to 66 yards passing, they follow that up with a performance against an East Carolina team that can run the ball quite well. And their running backs, you're right, were just completely uh, held in check. Mitchell, 17 for 55. Harris, 13 for 26. And um, if if we're being honest, like with the with the bigger picture in mind and the fact that the Bearcats are now trending very much toward the college football playoff and we have our our eyes on beating and 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 if you want to put in air quotes upsetting it may not be an upset at this point uh one of these programs of the likes of georgia or michigan or in alabama or wherever it may be to do that we needed the defense to be back and operating at its elite self and against smu against east carolina that seems to be the case mike trestle has stepped up made the proper adjustments. There's much more of a lot more of a four man front mixing up looks and at least against SMU and East Carolina so far, so good. And how many, what were we, what was the over under was it four and a half was what we did for the defensive scores. I think you and Joe were saying like six and a half. You and Joe were completely outlandish when it came to defensive touchdowns. And we're we not got one more. We got one more. I guess that one counts. Yeah. I guess, you know, we're now I'm up counting to a block point. I know it's technically special teams, but look, a defensive player picked up that ball, the scoop and score, the scoop and score. I'll count it as well. So they're up to two on the season, uh, not counting Trey Tucker's 90, what was it? 99, 97 yard uh, kick return earlier this season. But yeah, the defense it's, it's almost comical. You know, uh, Justin Williams wrote an article that I'm going to go ahead and say was based upon the tweet we sent earlier in the season about uh, sauce Gardner being the most bored man in college football. It's shocking to watch him play football at this point. Like nobody will challenge him. And I keep thinking they did. They did challenge him. They threw at him all game. You're right. They actually, they almost scored a touchdown on him, but sauce being sauce broke it up. (laughs) This, this was sort of the first game in a while that they took some real shots at sauce and, and, and they, to their credit, I guess, I don't know if it's their credit. I would, I would say it is. They did try and get that first touchdown against him in his career, and he broke it up at the last second, which is exactly what we would come to expect from Sauce Gardner. Yeah. <laughs> That's a bold strategy there, Cotton. It's fourth and two, and uh, your strategy is to throw against Sauce Gardner. Congratulations on your decision-making. Um, that was something I was actually glaring to. ECU, just terrible, terrible clock management. Um, glad that's not, you know, I'm glad we're over those episodes, hopefully. Of, of bad clock management, especially as we come into the most important aspect of the season. So are we, do we have any more really that we want to talk about the ECU game? Cause I think there's so much more that happened that this weekend that is in favor of the Bearcats from a macro picture. Like, are we done? Are we moving on to uh... I would, I would say it is time to move on. I think the big takeaway from this is that the Bearcats won 35, 13, and we described two turnovers inside the five yard line that could have allowed this to be, you know, a 49, 13 game without even counting the missed field goal. Cause at this point we can't assume field goals, but all in all, a very strong, a very dominant performance by the Bearcats. They wrap up the season third. Sorry. They wrap up the season 12 and zero in the regular season. Uh, they've ripped off 20 consecutive regular season victories, 21. If you count uh, that conference championship game, which I suppose I should. So 21 consecutive regular season victories and uh, just truly remarkable stuff. Hummer. The, the Bearcats are, are doing what's completely unprecedented for a group of five team. And coming into the season, we talked about the expectations. We talked about the pressure. I felt like the only time we really saw the pressure manifest itself on the field was during our four-game stretch against Navy, Tulsa, Tulane, and, um, and I'm forgetting one. 
but that four game stretch against, you know, like six and 20 competition, that was the only time this season where it felt like the Bearcats, you could sort of see the weight of the world on their shoulders. Now they're 12 and 0. They head into the American Athletic Conference Championship game against Houston next week. No one should be worried about this game. No one should be worried about this game. No. In fact, I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not scared. I am coming in with full confidence. I'm coming in with Notre Dame confidence here. We're going to come in and absolutely manhandle them at home. We're going a, to destroy them. That's the key. It's a home game. It's, a, it's at Nippert Stadium. It's a four o'clock t- uh, kickoff, which means that it, it's going to get dark over it the course could, of this game. It could be the location for a second visit of college game day. Could be. Not ruling it out. We're not ruling it out. We don't know. We haven't heard anything. Um, but I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure they're. I'm sure there's there's the, at the internet bit. people. There's internet people who's been, who've been predicting this because if you're looking at it, this is a. It's on campus. They don't like to do game days on neutral sites, so the Big 12, which would be a natural fit for them this week because they haven't been there in forever. But they're they're on a neutral site. Bearcats are at home. The lights, the action, the storyline here. Oh, it's just it's right for it. Get the student body wound up. You know, just just be absolutely make Houston's life miserable. And and they, and we will. Right. Like this is you already hear Holgerson talking in the media about wishing that this was a game that played on at a neutral field. Nah, Dana, that's not how this works. You're coming to our part of town. I feel like Will Farrell, the meme, the 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 waving me waving him toward me. Bring it here. Bring it here, Dana. Get up here to Cincinnati. I'd be scared too if you were coming here. I really would. Yeah, this place is gonna be absolutely rocking. Game sold out within, you know, minutes of tickets being made available through Google Bearcats. Good job. Congratulations to the fan base. That is a statement. Um, but there's other stuff to, to unpack with what's coming here next week. I just want to run through some of the results this week. Let me, yeah, and let's run through the results. Let's talk more about the macro, the fact that the Bearcats did crack the top four in the rankings earlier in the week, and we probably want to unpack how that sort of, sort of sets things up. Oh, we're going to be three on Tuesday. We're going to be going deeper on the Houston game and that matchup with our buddies uh, look, we've never met them. We've never actually talked to them in person, but I'm excited to finally get them on the podcast. The Scott and Holman podcast will be joining us on Tuesday night to help us preview that American athletic conference championship game. One of the elite independent podcasts in the college sports landscape and inspiration to us. I'm very excited to get them on and chat with them more, more about it. Yeah. I mean, they're a perfect example of like, know thy enemy, keep thy enemy close. Um, they produce really good content if you're trying to follow them and they're not obnoxious. Okay. Just like the UCF fans, uh, directional Florida school, they're not as obnoxious. So it's going to be, it's going to be fun having them on. Um, I'm, I'm curious what we're going to win this week on, uh, you know, come bet your daddy. <laughs> <laughs> Me and you, you do not want to come on a podcast and bet with us. If, if we're betting, with you on the podcast, it probably means a we're putting putting something on the Cincinnati Bearcats football team, which just favors well for us. It's usually straight up. We're not talking cover. It doesn't it doesn't bode well for our enemies. It was like someone say we're going to end up from a paper clip to a to a house. Uh, each week, we're you know we've already <laughs> secured lifetime <laughs> subscriptions to the Athletic, some very very rare citronella type candles. I can't wait to show people this insect repellent. Your mind will be blown. You will realize that this was more valuable than a house itself. Uh, yes. But Hummer, let's let's rewind the clock. I want to start this conversation with Tuesday night's college football playoff rankings. I was, as these were being released, I was enjoying the musical Wicked with my wife and daughter. A wonderful show, by the way. Truly enjoyed it. It was nice to finally get back in front of musical theater again. I'll save that for our for our musical theater podcast that we drop on Tuesday nights. Um, The college football playoff rankings were very interesting on Tuesday. And I know many people expected it because Oregon dropped um, a stinker against Utah. Did they? I feel like everybody in New Zealand was just preparing for the worst. Like Armageddon was raining down. They're going to jump us. Uh, The end of the world. The, The thing that happened though, that I thought was interesting. So the Bearcats end up at number four. So the rankings The big news from the rankings, Georgia stays at number one. Ohio State jumped Alabama up to number two. 
Bearcats move up to number four and followed by the Michigan Wolverines who were going to play Ohio state that weekend. And uh, spoiler alert, alert, that was, that was an upset um, followed by Notre Dame followed at number seven by the Oklahoma state Cowboys. And to me, that's about where it stops. Uh, those are the teams that were in contention for the college football playoff heading into the weekend. The reason this was a big deal to me is that the Bearcats are now quote unquote in the college football playoff. And they were followed by Michigan, followed by Notre Dame, who was followed by Oklahoma State. So the, the committee essentially boxed themselves in somewhat by putting Oklahoma State behind the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, which is a team that has already lost to Cincinnati, a team we know cannot go ahead of Cincinnati in the rankings. I don't know. It just felt like it felt like a turning point of sorts where to me, it was the first time where I felt like, oh, my gosh, this can happen. I have hope again. I I believe that the unthinkable, the thing that I thought was was impossible can actually happen. I uh, at this point up until today, Tuesday, the committee hasn't given me given me a reason to go and believe, hey. If the Bearcats don't win out they're going to be left out. Right. I, 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 I don't get that vibe from them. Like I, I truly believe when, and you're in, that is, that is it. That is the, that is just the, the recipe for success this week is go in there and beat Houston and you will be in. I actually think we're moving up this week. I think we're moving well, up the three. If we're going to talk I, about I, where we're going, can we explain then what happened over the course of the weekend and why I think it was pretty much as good as you could hope for when it comes to the Cincinnati Bearcats? Yeah, let me let me run through these results for you. You guys ready? And I'm gonna I'm gonna leave the best for last. I'm gonna bury the lead here, at least in my opinion, burying the lead, because um, something fun happened. Big brother, big brother, they lost. They got crushed. And I was watching the uh, I was watching this game with uh, with a, an Ohio State fan, and and I told her, look, you know, honestly, I'm going into the game rooting for Ohio State because I I feel like that was the the least question marks to be had, right? Status, but I was the, like the status quo of sorts. the status quo, yeah. But I was like, as we get further into this game, though, if I see Michigan is going to win or is you know is leading for a large period of time, I'm like I'm going to want that lead to grow because I want this to be a total control smackdown of Ohio state. So that way we're basically back to the status quo. And frankly, I'd rather play Michigan. Just, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yes, please. Now yes, I please. do, I do question that. Like that was my assumption going into that game. But once you see Ohio state's offensive line against the Michigan front, that was attacking the quarterback, getting after them, creating disruption. It did make me wonder, Hey, like how would, how would our secondary fare? against the likes of the best passing game in college football. But we it's it's a complete hypothetical now because Ohio State has two losses. Ohio They're State gone. is is for all intent and purposes eliminated from playoff contention. At least they should be. But this is where this result's important. Uh Iowa, number 16 Iowa beats Nebraska to secure their spot in the big 10 championship game to play Michigan. So there is now, I think a good chance for a little bit of craziness in that matchup as season, Iowa, Iowa upset of Michigan, which just throws this whole thing into chaos. And that that's where we head into next weekend. Gary Barda's Iowa Hawkeyes have the potential to make his life even worse <laughs> by potentially <laughs> knocking, knocking all big 10 teams out of contention for the college football playoff, or at least, uh, as you would expect that to be for if you were if you're a thinking person, a rational person. Look, if you've never put a two loss team into the playoff, and we already know what team they are angling for to be that that first two loss team, and that's Alabama. All right, you're sure as hell not putting a two loss Iowa squad in there. I'm sorry, it's no, not happening. That's not and you're not going to be putting you're not going to be putting a two loss uh, Michigan squad in there either at that point. At least that, that would be my assumption. However, so the number two Buckeyes take a loss, which is another team, another week where the Bearcats have a team in front of them in the college football playoff rankings, take a loss, a, a result that we didn't get that happened on the same weekend. Um, and maybe you're going to get there is this close Alabama. Oh, no, no, that's last. That's, that's last. last. Okay. I'm sorry. It's Oklahoma state. Next. We're talking about the real conspiracy theory here to keep Oklahoma out. 
I think the SEC or, or the Pac-12 has actually may have been involved with this. They were ensuring that Oklahoma lost in order for Lincoln Riley to immediately accept the uh, the USC job prior to the beginning of the early signing period in December. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, if you look at that game, that's that's a big result for us because um, an Oklahoma victory actually would have assured us that Oklahoma State actually has no shot. It would have knocked essentially knocked Oklahoma State out of the out of the contention here. So uh, as Oklahoma they stand, State, Oklahoma State is is like the hipster conspiracy angle for which team could still potentially boot Cincinnati from the playoff. If if you're truly if you're as if you're as cynical as you can possibly be about the College Football Playoff Committee, which in my opinion is a valid perspective a valid emotion to feel oklahoma state is that team to watch they now go into the big 12 championship against baylor next week and as we know baylor getting the eight ranking last week oklahoma 10 that'll have be that will be beating two top 10 teams and with a victory uh, by baylor this week let's assume they stay the same i don't see any room for them really to move up unless ohio state's dropping really far back which i don't see that either um, but that being said, they're going to be set up for two top 10 victories back to back weeks. And if they do that, rest assured, they will try to find a way to put them in. Uh, so that's actually where if, if we're, if we're solidly in, and I think we're going to get here because this is the result that I think is important. Alabama, Auburn went down to the wire with Alabama needing to come back to win that game. But they, they, they came back off of Auburn clock mismanagement just like terrible decisions it wasn't it wasn't so much as i hate to say it this way because they do play the game and auburn did win or alabama did win but i don't feel like it was so much as alabama winning as auburn losing like auburn lost the game it was a cheddar bob performance it, it, there's no other way to put it that was i was cheddar bob handgun straight to the groin at the end of the game you you don't <laughs> run out of bounds you you allow the clock to stop without alabama having to uh to, to lose an additional 40 seconds. And then in overtime, after, after matching Alabama's touchdown, you're down one point and you have a decision to make if you're a head coach. I have a quarterback who could barely walk. We're watching him limp into the huddle, in and out of the huddle. We have no options in terms of play calling. He can, he can take a, a, a snap from the shotgun, he can hand it off, or, or he, can, he can throw a short out to a running back. But... So we have the choice of continuing this game and, and dragging it on into two-point two conversions and, and putting our odds against our, our team and our, and our one-legged walk-on backup quarterback, dueling it out with the Heisman, one of the Heisman frontrunners. Or you could go for the two-point conversion to win the game. And what does he do? What did he do, Hummer? He, 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 he. He brought a field goal kicker out to, to tie the game up with a field goal. He was a coward, <laughs> a true coward. And, and to me, it was, if you're Auburn, well, I think there are what, six and five in that game. Like, what are you doing? It's the iron bowl. You have a chance of beating Alabama and knocking them out of the college football playoff. And what do you do? Look, you, you we, take the cowards way out. What are you doing? You, and I want to say this, like to, to Luke fickle, who listens to this podcast religiously, Right. This is where he comes to get his advice on what he, what, what the team needs at 100%. This is his first stop. Uh, if we're in that situation and we have gone, we, we're going second, right. In this overtime, they've scored a touchdown. They've kicked a field goal and we have now scored a touchdown. Please, for the love of God, go for two, let the result stand. I don't care one way or the other, either win the game or lose the game. Because I don't want you to kick that field goal to tie it up to then go to do more two point conversions. Like it's just it's it's mind boggling. Like you basically What's, already have them on a miss. You have them on a miss, and all you have to do is go and and do it, and you win. Auburn's first two point conversion was a fancy, like almost like a Statue of Liberty play. I can't, I can't remember the actual name for it, but it was a, a throwback to a a late leaking tight end or, or running back. Like it was an incredibly creative play that got a, got the two point conversion pretty easily. And I'm thinking, why wouldn't you bust that out to win the game? Like you could have used that brilliant play to win the game, but they don't Alabama goes on to win in four overtimes. And so this was a close call. That's why Alabama's but, Alabama. And that's why Auburn's Auburn. All right. 
If these two schools want to go back and forth about who's really the best, we all know in our hearts it is not Auburn. Auburn is not the pride of Alabama. It's Alabama. So does this, this impact the college football playoff rankings? I don't actually think it does. I think it does. I think it does uh, because it shows that the reason why Alabama had the benefit of the doubt before was that, oh, they're still really, really good. Like this team is, it should be number two in the country. Some people were willing to vote the number one still, right? This shows to me, like they've had some of these closer games where, like you said, like style points matter, right? This is anti-style points. You basically took a 500 Auburn team who's now 500, three and five in the SEC, and you you had to come back from behind 10 points off of their mistakes. You They basically let you win the game. And, and to me, I'm sitting there thinking, all right, they should be punished for this. I think they're going to drop down a spot this week. I think you're going to see the rankings come out being Georgia, consensus, unanimous, number one. Michigan, number two. Cincinnati, number three. Bama's going to be number four. You're going to see Notre Dame, I think, still holds on to the five spot. I think maybe this is where the conspiracy theory comes in. I think Ohio State might be down there at number six or seven or wherever they're going to eventually fall because people are going to play another round of games and they're going to get jumped again. And then you're going to have Oklahoma State sitting right behind right behind uh, Notre Dame. I don't think Oklahoma State's jumping Notre Dame this week. All right. So there, you just said a lot there. I would say this. I think that the committee is going to chalk this up to rivalry week, to chalk it up to the Iron Bowl, and the fact that Nick Saban has had less success at that stadium and in that environment than any, any other place in the country. And by getting out of there with the win, it allows them to continue to keep Alabama elevated, uh, maybe above what they, what they deserve based on their play on the field. But it seems like we are heading to a world where, where Georgia will remain at number one. In terms of two and three, I think – that's that's a Michigan State versus Alabama situation, and I think that based on, um, I'm sorry, Michigan versus Alabama situation, and based on what Michigan just did to Ohio State and what Alabama did to Auburn, I think that's where they take it into consideration. Michigan jumps all the way up to number two. They keep Alabama in there at number three. Bearcats stay at number four, and then the big move is for Oklahoma State to move up ahead of Notre Dame this week because Notre Dame came off a victory over uh, pathetic Stanford while Oklahoma state pulled off a victory against OU. And that would, that's where the intrigue lies. Bearcats uh, gonna, number four, Cowboys number five. I'm going to, I'm going to pressure you on that because here's, here's where I think if the conspiracy theory is true, like if this, if, if this is big brand invitational, we know that they would rather have Notre Dame in the playoff more than Oklahoma state. So I think I think Notre Dame stays there at number five in the event should the Bearcats lose, Notre Dame takes our spot. And, and they get that's their view. They, they I, get their I, views. That's an outcome, right? Like I think that's a really good perspective, really good insight by you. And if that's what happens, to me, that's why Bearcat fans can go to bed knowing when and we're in. If Notre Dame is ahead of Oklahoma State in the rankings, heading into conference championship weekend. Bearcats are in if we win. I, I think we're in if we win regardless because we're going to be playing a top 25 team ourselves. And we already have and we already have that we already have that victory over number five Notre Dame. So we still have the only better victory than us on the board as of today is Michigan beating Ohio State. That's the only better victory than ours on the board. There's so few outcomes at this point that can that can be damaging win and you're in. The it's win, win and you're in. Right. But I'm saying the situation is when we lose, we know we're not going to be. We're not going to be the one loss team they put in. They won't do it. No, 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 no. Losing but is Notre not Dame, an option. Losing yeah, is never losing been not an option. option. But if that were to happen, I think Notre Dame is. They're going to jump Notre Dame into that four spot because they do want big brand, big brand bringing TB eyeballs. And that's where I think you make a very interesting point. I have a hard time believing that with the Bearcats, assuming the Bearcats beat Houston, do what they're supposed to do, finish the season 13 and 0. If Oklahoma State is two spots behind them, and then UC, let's say, beats a top 25 Houston team and Oklahoma State beats a top 25 Baylor team, to have them then magically jump the Bearcats and Notre Dame two spots in one weekend, it doesn't make a lot of sense. So I I completely understand and empathize with anybody who's feeling skeptical and 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 anxious about what the college football playoff committee is going to do to screw the Bearcats. The fact is they have largely run out of options. 
teams continue to lose. It's been a war of attrition and the Bearcats are thriving. We still also have to factor in that Georgia plays Alabama. And based on what we're seeing on the field, Georgia should beat Alabama handedly. And if that happens, Alabama's not making the college football playoff. The Bearcats may move all the way up to number three. And at that point, all, you know, all bets are off, buddy. Is the SEC championship, that's also a uh, neutral field? <sighs> that's a good question. That's a good question because that would definitely be a game day candidate. And it's one I should have mentioned earlier, but that would be somewhere that I would think they might send their crew. It will be held in Atlanta. So essentially, so it's this not is a-, a home game. It's a neutral field, but it's a home game for the Georgia Bulldogs. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that, I think that's, that's definitely something to take into account. Either way, look, it's simple. Win and you're in. Bearcats win and they're in. I think Houston has a tall, a tall glass of water if they're going to think they're going to roll in the Nippert Stadium. Because frankly, I just don't think, I think the Bearcats are above and beyond with talent. And I want to go back. I want to go back to this podcast that we recorded with. I think it was a Tulane podcast at the beginning of the season. And they buried it. They buried the podcast with us. I think they were holding on to it to like, you know, rub it in our faces with our arrogance that we came on uh, into this podcast with, because we called this, we said no one in the American athletic conference will beat the Bearcats. It will not happen. Like the confidence is just oozing from this team uh, of what we've returned and what they're accomplishing is something so special. So I want to get that podcast back and I want to air that after the, after the, uh, after this Houston game, I'm going to air that baby out. Let everybody hear this, this preseason predictions that we went on to a, another podcast and, and, and rolled out, and they buried it. They buried that, that gold. Hummer's referring to the Uptown Update, which uh, you could find on Twitter at T, T Uptown Update. And, and he's right. It was a preseason podcast. The thing that was strange about it, they told us that they were going to air it later in the season, probably more as like a preview for the Bearcats two-lane game. I'm not sure what happened. I'm not that bent out of shape about it, but I do think it feels when you don't air it, it feels like, well, were you going to air it only if we would have been looking like fools and eating crow for pounding our chests and saying that we feel fantastic about how we're going to, to, to kind of stomp through the American athletic conference. Come on, boys, put, put the audio out there. Yeah. Let the people hear it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Is there any, so college football playoff rankings, they seem fairly straightforward. In terms of, of contenders, again, Georgia, Alabama, Cincinnati, Michigan, Notre Dame, and Oklahoma State. There's six teams at this point that are let's go, bat- let's go quickly, let's go quickly, real quick and, and run through who's playing this weekend because it's, there's only like nine games this, this weekend, and some of them do matter to us. Um, the big one being actually there's two big ones, but the biggest one being Georgia does play Alabama as Bearcat fans. I'm I'm gonna put this out there this week. This is happening. And I know Sam gambling, Sam's not here yet. And I don't know if he's going to be making an appearance this week. So I'll do this just prematurely, but here is the beginning of what I'm going to do as a, a parlay for anything that is good. That can happen for the Bearcats this weekend. Uh, I'm taking Georgia over Alabama money line. I'm taking Baylor over Oklahoma state money line. Uh, and I'm taking Iowa over Michigan money line. I mean, what the hell happens if Michigan loses? <laughs> mayhem bedlam we're playing we're probably playing notre dame again what a what a world that would be can you i would love it i would yeah. love it bring it on i would play them Please. again i would do it i would bring it on again because just as much as they're a different team cake so are walk, we. cake walk to the national championship that's yeah what that's called, bring, bring them on i'd play them again and we'll beat that we'll beat them again i, I don't i don't i'm not worried about that truly not it is yeah that's it though i mean look folks I we've been as cynical as possible. I mean, look, we have, oh, yeah. and don't forget be Bearcats. Cynical. Bearcats will take the money line on the Bearcats because this is the money line. Obviously anything good that can happen. That matters. Yeah. We were, in my opinion, we were rightfully cynical about this process, but we've incredibly, when you consider the history of Cincinnati sports and all that we have endu- endured, and that includes the college of Cincinnati, you know, university of Cincinnati. Did you read about Somehow, to say the college of Cincinnati? I'm so, it's just, I I'm flummoxed by how, perfectly this season has played out the Bearcats go through the season undefeated they're back-to-back undefeated regular seasons and in addition to their undefeated season Alabama takes a loss early Ohio State loses twice 
Michigan is gonna is the favorite to win the Big Ten. It's just everything seemed to break Bearcat this season. And and I am so grateful. We have one weekend left. We are so close to the finish line. We are so close to history. And please let me and Hummer go to Miami. Take me please. to Miami. You know, so that's the interesting part because I don't does anybody know anybody listening to help me out here, help me out with this. We want to confirm how the seating actually works like in terms of location for these games. I've been trying to Google it and maybe I'm just terrible at Googling. Um, but does the one seed in the college football playoff, in fact, get to pick where they play location wise? Um, or is this already predetermined that, you know, one in four are playing in Arlington and two and three are playing in Miami? I need a confirmation on that because I need to know, frankly, what I'm rooting for because I don't care who we play. I think we're going to win the first game. We're going to win. We're going to win a national championship this year. So I don't care who we play. If we want to get the big dogs, they'll get the bulldogs out of the way early. Fine. Bring them on. Let's do it in Miami. If we're going to have to go and play anybody else. Great. That's fine. I want to do it in Miami. <laughs> <laughs> Last thing, college football news, I, I want to mention to you. We, we alluded to it earlier in the podcast, but Mike Bone closed for USC. Mike Bone stole the head coach of the Oklahoma Sooners, the soon-to-be SEC Oklahoma Sooners. Lincoln Riley is heading to L.A., heading to California. I will not be the coach of LSU. <laughs> Because I'm going, going back, back. <laughs> Humber, what's the takeaway from this? Because initially, my first reaction was I sort of just wanted to point and laugh at Oklahoma. Like my, oh, I'm my definitely first, pointing and laughing at Oklahoma. My first reaction was like, uh, everything that we are accused to be, which is like a stepping stone program that can't make the college football playoff. Well, we're about to make the college football playoff. And Luke Fickle seems as committed to the Cincinnati Bearcats as he has ever been. Meanwhile, Oklahoma, two losses, not in contention, and their coach is leaving for USC, which, which many are surprised by. There's a lot of, you know, what does it signal for what it means to, for Oklahoma to be in the SEC? But here's the thing. I, I pump the brakes on that type of talk because it does mean that a future SEC job, a, a top-notch, top-10 college football program head coach opening is now available and, and we don't worry know, about it. We know who don't, one of the hottest coaches in America. Don't worry is, about it. It's not him. It's not him. Okay. Um, there's already some people saying, keep a close eye that uh, Sonny Dykes tenure at TCU is going to be very short lived. <laughs> <laughs> please, please let this happen. It would be the, like, it would be the karma karma coming to, to, uh, <laughs> Coming back to TCU for when they didn't they join the American Athletic, but then unjoin the American Athletic to go to the Big Twelve. That yeah. would be the equivalent, except for their head football coach. Please <laughs> let that happen. Who do I need to beg? Who do I need to pray to for that to happen? Um, so here's here's what I'm reading <laughs> from Mag Angle. Keep a close eye on this. Oklahoma is interested in Sonny Dykes, who is interested in the hashtag Sooners. Uh, Sonny is to be introduced on Tuesday as TCU's head coach. <laughs> um, so first off, that would be an absolute incredible development on that front. But here, here's where, why I, I, even if that wasn't the case, why I'm not worried about Luke Fickle. Because Luke Fickle just, I don't know, maybe it's just uh, maybe my blind love towards Luke. You know, maybe, uh, you know, maybe looking up to Luke as like a, you know, a father figure, you know, someone very important in my own life, someone I've never met. Uh, I just, he doesn't strike me as someone who's going to go and, and be talking to the recruits and saying, I'm in Cincinnati. I'm not leaving. I'm going to stay here. He just doesn't strike me as that kind of person. You know, and I know, I know we put a lot of faith in coaches and we've heard this stuff before, but to me, Luke just strikes me as someone different who operates at a different, on a different level um, that he is committed to, to building this thing out. Because look, at the end of the day, Here's what Luke has done. He's gotten this thing to, it's going to be a perpetual machine. Every year, year in and year out, the University of Cincinnati Bearcats, as long as Luke Fickle's at the helm, will be incredibly good and incredibly competitive. Moving to a new league that when you win it, you're getting into the playoff. Like, that's what he has. 
and you don't have to go and rebuild that from scratch somewhere else. Like for Lincoln Riley, for everything he's, he's great. Right. But all of his connections and everything that he has, he now has to go rebuild that in use in uh, Southern California, not an impossible task by any means. Right. It's going to, frankly, it may not even be that, that hard, but he has to go out and rebuild it. He has to go and redo it. And not everybody wants, wants to go and do that when you've already built something. And Luke Fickle to me just seems like a guy that if he's leaving Cincinnati, it's going to be for two jobs in college, Notre Dame, Ohio State, or he's going to the NFL. All right. So back to pointing and laughing at Oklahoma. Back to pointing and laughing at Oklahoma. <laughs> you didn't retain your coach. We did. <laughs> Sorry about it. Um, we'll, we'll leave it there, Hummer. I don't, I don't want to, I certainly don't want to beat that dead horse because it is amazing uh, the momentum and the culture and the, the just culture of dominance that Luke Fickle's creating here at Cincinnati. Once we do make the college football playoff, compete for a national championship, shit, we might win a goddamn national championship this season. the The world is the man's oyster, and and that me and and hopefully that oyster continues to live and be dociled, uh, domiciled here in Cincinnati, Ohio. Anything else on the football front before I do a quick little hit on basketball here? Um, anything else on football, anything else on football? No, I think we've covered it all. I think though, here, here's, I'm going to leave it on this though. I think Nick Saban actually did help us out. Not only just by playing, having a bad game, but Nick Saban made some comments that I thought hit, hit home to me. And as Bearcat fans, I think we could all, um, actually can't believe I'm saying it's learned something, uh, from Nick Saban, the pressure on these teams to not only go undefeated, but when you win, to have to win by a certain margin of victory, he basically ca called it bullshit. And he's even calling it bullshit in terms of like from looking at it from the standpoint of, of Alabama, always being expected to beat these teams out. And this was prior to them having this close game with Auburn. So this isn't like a reaction to having a close game with Auburn. But basically what he's saying is, you get teams like we are now in our, our league in the American Athletic Conference, we are quote unquote Alabama. We are good. We've been good for four years. People want to beat Cincinnati. And this year in particular, when you're number four, number three, number two, whatever, whatever we're ranked rolling into your house, these teams want to give us their best shot because if they beat the number four Cincinnati Bearcats, that's what they're going to look at all year and say, look what we did. We beat the number four team in the country. So every week we take these teams' best shots and we take them straight to the gut and no one has been able to give a shot good enough to knock us off our, our horse. And so we should be happy about that. We should be proud. We should not be having to be having this anxiety that I see that some of us do have. I'm not going to have that this weekend. If we don't beat, uh, if we don't beat Houston by 30 something points, I'm not going to be upset. You're not going to hear me kicking and screaming about it. I'm going to go and do pull-ups like Luke Fickle. And I'm going to find some rafters and do some of my own pull-ups and go wild. All right. Because at the end of the day, win and we're in. Beautifully said. It's the truth. I would recommend going and, and watching that Nick Saban clip. It did hit home. It was relatable to Cincinnati. And it, and it does drive home the fact that what these players at this program and this particular season have gone through is extraordinary. And it, it's different. The mental drain, the mental strain is, is unquestionably high. And they have delivered week in, week out. One more game left, boys, to get yourself to the national uh, championship conversation into the college football playoff. Let's make we're, history. We're into survive in advance. Survive in advance. Hummer, let's talk a bit about the week that was for the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball program. The week. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to. <laughs> the last time we talked about basketball is, is when the Bearcats beat Illinois by 20. We're riding high. The team is undefeated. They're 5-0. and They just beat a top 15 team by 20 on a neutral site against the consensus All-American in Kofi Coburn. We, we were on cloud nine, sir. The vibes were immaculate, as we like to say. We were the, even high after, after a loss. Well, that's the thing. I, I don't think I didn't come down from the high after a close 73-67 uh, loss at the hands of number 13, Arkansas, and Eric Musselman. I mean, it's disappointing to lose to Musselman. Feels like he's a bit of, our, a, bit of a nemesis for us at this point. But, you know, it's another top 15 team. On a neutral site, the Bearcats definitely had an opportunity to win that game down the stretch, gave up some critical offensive rebounds, 
Jeremiah Davenport missed a tough layup, actually went scoreless in the game. But you figure, okay, we're coming home. Saturday against Monmouth, we're going to get right, get our, get our mojo back, get back to the winning ways, get to 6-1. and one. Unfortunately for us, the Bearcats put up only 23 points in the second half against Monmouth and lose the game on our home court against Monmouth, who is coached by one of West Miller's best friends, and, and, is, and the roster features Walker Miller, his younger brother. Bearcats lose 61-59. Not great. And, you know, luckily for me, <laughs> I was eating a very, very nice steak <laughs> in Manhattan. Uh, and so I didn't watch any of this. I saw, I saw this all unfold through GameCast in, in updates. Um, but I got to ask you a question. What is going on with Jeremiah Davenport? I don't know if I want to start with Jeremiah, but I do want to get to him. I, I, feel, I, like, I feel like he's the elephant in the room right now, though. It's it's tough to evaluate, right? Because Jeremiah, if if we're looking at it realistically, it's just a couple games where he missed some shots. You know, if it, it was his first game being held scoreless against Arkansas since pre-COVID, since pre-shutdown. Um, I'm gonna chalk that up to kind of a fluke. You know, okay. against against Arkansas, he struggled. Um, he was over four from the field. One board, no assist, a couple turnovers, three fouls. It was not a good game for him. And the problem, the problem for Jeremiah is that when he's not making shots, his weaknesses on the court become a lot more apparent, in my opinion. You know, he's not an elite defender. He's someone that can struggle to stay with, with quicker and faster wings on the perimeter, and he's not always strong enough down low to defend, um, you know, sizable fours. Against Monmouth, he did... You know, he came out aggressive. The, the Bearcats' first play of the game, they ran for like a mid-range kind of back, a mid-range post-up more or less for, for Davenport. Got an open look, didn't make it. And then he struggled, like, like several other Bearcats struggled in this game, to knock down shots consistently. He went 2 for 10 from the field, 0 for 6 from 3, 2 for 4 from the free throw line. Um, he did contribute in other ways. You know, a couple blocks, had a steal, had an assist. And late in the game, got more aggressive in taking the ball to the hoop, which I think is a key for him. I think the key for Jeremiah is to not just settle for quick, rushed, pull-up three-pointers. To me, there were several shots he took in the Monmouth game that were uncalled for. They were, they were bad shots. Whether they go in or not, these are not the kind of shots that, that are going to lead to winning basketball games long-term. So hopefully that's something that he can see trend in, in, in a better direction where there is a, a, a higher level of aggression, where there is a little bit more of a focus on creating for others and seeing what he can do to draw a defense and then pass to an open teammate. But I don't know that he's, you know, the first thing I think about when I think about how this Monmouth game went. We actually got out-rebounded by Monmouth in this game, 38-36. Some of that's due to the fact that they racked up defensive rebounds after all the missed shots we had in this game. Uh, we went 23 to 61 from the field, but <laughs> against Arkansas, we saw a similar thing where the Bearcats struggled on the boards. When you have a front court, like with Abdullah do Hayden Koval, Victor Lockin, and, if, and most importantly, from a rebounding standpoint, Odio Guama, you would expect that rebounding is not a weakness, but here we are two games in a row struggling a bit on the boards. That concerns me a bit. Um, it's it just it's strange. This was such a strange game to watch because the Bearcats only turned the ball over five times. They turned Monmouth over fifteen times. They they say only, that's winning the turnover battle there. <laughs> yeah, handedly five turnovers. They only committed nine personal fouls the entire game. Monmouth uh, only scored sixty one points, but then with that they shot eight of sixteen from three point land. They shot 45% from the field. So it, they did get some easy layups. There were some breakdowns in communication defensively late in the game. There were some breakdowns on the three-point line. Offensively, though, to me, I know Wes Miller tends to focus on the, on the, on the defensive end. It's, it's very reminiscent of how Cronin would talk after a tough loss. Bearcats win or lose 59-61, and the coach is still talking about giving up too many points. 
offensively, there was no, it, it was a struggle. There were, it, there was how's plenty. Our, how's our shot selection? Look, a lot of the missed shots in this game were open. Like Mason Madison really? had several open looks. He went one of seven from three. Most of those were open shots that he could and should knock down, but he, he's not hitting so far early in the season. Davenport went 0 of six from three. A few of those were, were off the mark, low percentage shots, but but there were a few that, that were open that could have been hit. Same for Micah Adams-Woods. Not an elite shooter, but went one of six, and I think that several of those shots were were, were potential, you know, were open shots that he could hit other times. The big thing that jumps out to me, Hummer, is the team is kind of overloaded with guys who are better at getting their own shot than they are at creating a shot for another player. Davenport is much more of a get-my-own-shot guy. Micah Adams-Woods, a little, he can create for others. I don't know if I'd put him in that bucket. David DeJulia so far this season has been a create-my-own-shot rather than create a shot for others. He's He's got these incredible ball handling skills. He's able to get a mid-range jumper whenever he wants, but he's not necessarily attacking the rim as much as you would like, which and given how easy it is for him to break down a defender, it seems like there's opportunities for him to get to the hole and create for a big man. Um, and then obviously guys like, you know, Mike Saunders Jr. is going to get there in terms of creating for others. I actually think right now he's better at getting his own shot the only guy who really comes to mind so far, which is crazy to say, who's the best on the team at creating for others, in my opinion, is Victor Lockin. And right now, Wes Miller's in a place where Adu, Lockin, Oguama, and Koval are basically even across the board from a minutes distribution standpoint. I personally would love to see us get Lockin a little more involved offensively and see the offense run, run through him a, a bit more when he's in the game. Um, he's got special vision special IQ offensively and, and honestly a, a great ability downloaded to get an easy shot for himself and get an easy look at the rim. So that could be something we see going forward. Odio Guam is a beast, awesome rebounder hustle, never stops. The energy is always high but all in all. This was a tough loss summer. It was, it was a disappointing loss. It's a game that we shouldn't lose that Monmouth threw some wrinkles at us defensively that, that we didn't seem to be able to overcome. And the last thing I'll say about this game that jumped out at me about the post-game press conference is that Wes Miller, apparently on the final possession of the game, did not realize that the Cincinnati Bearcats actually had one second at their disposal and actually thought it was 0.1. And when you think it's 0.1, that means there's literally only one option, which is to throw the ball at the rim and hope that Hayden Caval tips it in. If there's one second on the clock, we can come up with something a lot better than that. We can come up with with a look from the three-point line or the mid-range, or there's just so many more options if you if you call a play based on one second. So that's not great. Like, that wasn't great to realize that your head coach was not aware of how much time was on the clock. And I think some of that could be due to just the, the scoreboard operator being late on that call. The refs did have to review it for time, but they did review it, and they did announce that there was one second. Everybody in the crowd realized it. It's what gave us hope. It's what stopped people from streaming out of the stands, which, by the way, guys, one second left. Just wait. Just wait for the game. Cincinnati is notorious for needing to beat the traffic. <laughs> the traffic that rarely exists getting out of Clifton. Uh, but people feel the need to beat the, the traffic. You know what? Take your time. Go down to Martino's. Grab yourself a, a soda. Maybe a yeah. buffalo chicken wrap. Best buffalo chicken wrap in the city. I won't go. I won't go any deeper on it. We'll kind of leave it there, Hammer. I'll just say that huh. when when you consider the high of Illinois. The Bearcats still lost two games this week. They went one and two. And it's it just it's a weird they blew up my prediction. You know, if you beat Monmouth, I come back and I say, hey, you know what? We're probably getting some votes uh, in the AP this week, maybe even being ranked 25, 24, maybe 22. Not anymore. So, Not uh, anymore. A loss to Monmouth puts that dagger through the heart. Uh, they got some work to do. And frankly, we got a what I would consider to be a tough matchup uh, with a rival at Miami. I think I think that's going to be. This is a year that they're going to give us some problems. Um, that's I think it's a coin flip, honestly, whether we win this game or not. And then we also have um, eggs. Eggs coming, coming up. up. There's there will be time to talk about that. That the road yep. game against Miami is definitely difficult, and Wes Miller will be working to avoid a three game losing streak. Because I will say, a three game losing streak will feel quite poor. It will not feel good, and it it will not feel like something 
this team should be experiencing. I know there will new, be riots. There's new faces. There will not be riots. There will not be dramatic calls for, for action. No, of none of that, sort. but riots, just riots. Okay. Riots sound fine. I'm no, disappointed. You know, we're the not going yeah. to, we're not going to be calling for the coach's head, but there'll be riots. We'll that riot. was a, that was a really bad loss against Monmouth. That was a really bad loss against Monmouth, but let's leave it there on a, on a sour note. Unfortunately, the good news is Tuesday night. We're recording with Scott and Holman after the college football playoff rankings will be released. So we'll get to react to those. We'll get to preview the upcoming AAC championship game. And uh, Hummer, let's just leave it there, buddy. Until next time. Until next time. Cheers.